Hey, welcome to the online ministry at Coastal Community Church. I want to thank you so much for checking us out, and we're so grateful that these sermons online are benefiting uh, your spiritual growth. Uh, but one of the things we have a deep conviction of at Coastal Community Church is that you're a part of a local church. And so uh, while we want these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth, we also want to encourage you to find a local church. So if you're in our community, we'd love for you to visit us. Check us out. We're on 101 Village Avenue in Yorktown, and uh, we have three service times on Sunday morning that you can see if you can be a part of our community. The service times are 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and so we'd love for you to visit us. Um, when you visit us this summer, we're going to be doing a, a new series called One, and uh, we're going to be taking our church body through uh, the letter of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that Paul writes a letter to the church of Corinth. And the letter is written because Paul is horrified to find out that this church is not unified together as a body um, to make Jesus Christ famous in their community. And I find that interesting because we we live in a culture where I think sometimes we're uh, shocked when a church is working in unity. And so that's what we want to be, a coastal community church. We want to be a church that works in unity uh, so that we can better uplift the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll join us for this new series as we go through 1 Corinthians. The series is called One. Chapter 14 covers tongues, prophecy, and the role of women inside the corporate worship service. I see no pitfalls in front of us this morning, so buckle up and hold on, all right? I suspect I'm going to say something that every one of you disagrees with, and my prayer this morning is that we'll have a, a church body that when I'm done, all right, I'll still be able to pastor some people. That's the hope. So, um, so here we go, all right? I, I don't want to waste much time. I want to jump in this morning. Uh, I'm working with a little bit of an assumption this morning that uh, you've probably given this passage some consideration. I'm working with the assumption that you've read it. Uh, I'm working with the assumption that you have maybe thought about this topic. Uh, I'm going to spend probably the bulk of my teaching on the idea of the spiritual gift of tongues, uh, although I will give some attention to some of the other topics in this text, okay, uh, this morning. I want you to know because I'm covering three difficult topics, there's no way I can bring uh, other biblical ideas to bear on the topic. So I'm going to stay focused except for one. Uh, I'm going to look at Acts chapter two, but besides that, we're really going to stay in first Corinthians 14. Okay. There's a handout in your bulletin. You can, you can follow along with me. As you open your Bible, as you get out your notes, I, I want to let you know that on this particular topic, on the topic of tongues, and on the topic of prophecy, uh, this is an area, and, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm working with something you know, there's probably some division in the body of Christ or where people land on this text and on this topic. Uh, in my, this area of my thinking, it's unclear to me, and, I, and that's unusual for me, right? I, I tend to be a black and white thinker, and, and, uh, and as your pastor, uh, my fear in my lack of clarity is the potential for confusion and disunity in the church body. And, and so I, I preached this morning with, with that burden in my heart and with my mind. And so I want to be honest with the text. I want to be honest with you and my thinking on the text. But at the end of the day, my hope is that we'll work together as a church in unity for the gospel and for, so that Christ would be lifted up. I hope that you could appreciate if you're new to Coastal that 
Uh, one of the things that I like to do each year is, uh, at least once a year, is take us through a book of the Bible in its, in its entirety, because I want you to know the Word of God. And so uh, what that forces me to do sometimes is cover difficult topics, and I'm okay with that, and I think we're okay with that. I, I think you have to have a certain maturity as a church to do those kind of spiritual teaching journeys together, and I, I believe Coastal has that kind of maturity, okay? I will tell you this, when it comes to sermon prep, um, there haven't been too many sermons in which I, I, I've individually read more, studied more, listened to more teachings and tapes and sermons of, of other preachers that I, I respect. Uh, I've given this sermon a lot of thought and a lot of prayer. There's a lot of things in my thinking and at Coastal that for me I'm very clear on, things like the doctrine of the Trinity, right? Things, things like the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, things like the deity of Christ, things like Christ's return and the authority of Scripture. I could go on and on on things that are very clear in my mind and in my heart, uh, but for me the, the issue of tongues is one that I, I'm less clear on. Now, I have a joke that, I'm, that I say behind the scenes. It makes me giggle from time to time. I'm now going to reveal it publicly, okay? I say that Coastal is the church where Baptists and Charismatics come together. And so for those of you who know those two kind of church journeys, you kind of giggle out loud and you know that to be true. So if you have a church where the Baptists and the Charismatics come together, this is the one topic that create disunity, Right? And so my hope is that we'll leave here, uh, even if we disagree, if you disagree with me, that we'll leave here saying, you know what, there's, there's bigger things than one spiritual gift, okay? And that's the cause of the gospel going forward, okay? And so this is the subject that would probably divide those two groups, and my goal is not to divide this morning, and, and my goal is just to lay out in front of you what I think the text means. I, I want to highlight what I think it highlights and, and work together for making Christ famous. At the end of this, I, 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 so I'm going to give you a kind of a big picture. I'm going to kind of tell you where I come down, and then we're going to unpack the text, and then I'm going to give you the riverbanks at Coastal Community Church. So that's, I've kind of given you the outline this morning. So when I say this is a church where, where Baptists and Charismatics come together, what do I mean by that? What do, and for those of you who are like, I don't, I don't, it was a head scratcher to me. What I mean is that in these two groups, in, in regards to what I will say that now is the sign spiritual gifts, or if you ever heard the phrase signs and wonders, okay? And now I'm going to speak in, in gross generalizations, okay? So know that not every Baptist is going to agree with what I just say, and not every charismatic is going to agree with what I just say. But gross generalizations are this, that Baptists come from a hermeneutical or interpretive background where they would say that they are cessationist, that the sign gifts or the spiritual gifts that are sign gifts have ceased with the apostles and with the early church. And then, and, and in that group, we would generally lump the Methodists and the Lutherans and the Church of Christ, just to name a few, okay? And I know many of you come from those different backgrounds. The Charismatics in the church would say that they are continuationists, that these gifts continue today, that the sign gifts are for the church today, for the, for the furthering of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so the charismatic groups would say, hey, 1 Corinthians 14 are active. The gifting here is active for the, for the church today. In fact, I brought, in fact, when I was walking in, I had several of you saw me carrying a stack of books, and they were like, wow, this is going to be a long sermon, okay? 
you can already see that I've cut a song, okay? So like, we sing four songs, okay? We, just, we sang three this morning. Uh, and if I, if I get done in time, I'll let you guys sing an extra one on the way out, okay? Um, this keeps the parking team happy with me. Uh, so, so what I did is I, I've brought some of the some of the resources of the men that I generally lean into when I, when I prepare sermons, all right? Some of these men in this stack of books here are still alive, some are not. All of the men in these books here have high views of the scriptures. All of these men would agree with the key doctrines of coastal that we would say that we would agree with. I, I think most of these men would Probably I would agree with them on the areas of soteriology and the doctrines of God and who the person and work of Christ is. They would agree, we would probably agree in church polity, roles of women in the church and roles of men and women in marriage. Some of the more controversial things in church life. I think all of these men, I would probably agree with them on all of these. I think that they, we would all agree on what I'm going to, so I'm going to use a phrase here that may spin some of you up, but I'm going to stick with it, all right? I think all these men would agree with me on what I would call the normative functions of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to, I'm going to come back to that in a minute and why I think there's some normative functions of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but, but on this passage, these, these groups disagree, actually. And so uh, I've got Walter Trantry and, and uh, Kenneth Gentry and Douglas Wilson and John MacArthur, all right? These are men that I lean into frequently. These men are cessationists, all right? They believe that the sign gifts were for the early church, and then I've got some men that I lean into, David Platt and John Piper and Wayne Grudem. And, and uh, I'm, I'm missing one that I didn't have a book. Who, oh, Matt, uh, Matt Chandler, all right? They're continuationists, all right? And they're on this side. And so as I read the men that I lean into often and help my shape my thinking, there was, there was disagreement, all right? So let me, let me try to define for you. So you're going, what's the difference? Stationist, continuationist. Because how you define yourself in that area then defines generally how you interpret 1 Corinthians 14, all right? And so for the, for the continuationists, all right, the continuationist believes that, that the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy and miracles and wonders are continuing and, and active today. For the continuationists, they would say it's, it's the plain reading of the text, right? You open up, you, you see tongues in Acts, you see tongues d- defined on how it's to be used in the local church here in 1 Corinthians 14, and so there's still an opportunity for these gifts to function today. For the continuationists, many of the men I, I lean into, e- even the continuationists would not highlight these gifts, but they would say there, there's more normative works of the Holy Spirit and they would, fo- they would probably focus on the more normative works of the Holy Spirit as given to us in, by Jesus himself in, in John chapter 16. But these men would say, hey, these gifts are still for today. The cessationist group, and, 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 I'll, and again, I'll, you know, I'll define myself as best I can in a moment, but um, the cessationist group, and I think they make some very compelling hermeneutical or interpretive arguments would, would say that, that it's common in the Bible for miracles to give authentication or attest to significant movements of God as he's using an individual. 
So a lot of times I think we read our Bible and we say, man, the Bible's full of miracles. Well, it is, but, but oftentimes there's hundreds of years between the miracles, right? Between movements of the Lord as he works with individuals and attests to their ministry, like Moses, right? Moses had plagues and departing in the Red Sea as God was raising him up to lead the people of Israel. We see something similar in Elijah and Elisha, and certainly in Christ, right? And I, when I took us as a church through John, maybe you all don't remember this, I took us through the Gospel of John, and one of the things I said is the reason that we see so many miracles around Jesus is because God was authenticating him as his son, right? And the reason it's, not, it's, it's called a miracle and not a normative is because we don't see it every day. Okay, and so, and so God, uh, through, through Jesus and, and, and the signs and the wonders and the sign gifts around the apostles, as God was transitioning from old covenant to new covenant and establishing his early church. And so by extension, the cessationists would say that these gifts ended with the apostles and with the very early church. The cessationists would say that the gift of tongues and the office or gift of prophecy or the office or gift of healing have ceased with the apostles. These, that these gifts were a part of authenticating the ministry and the mission of Christ and the ministry and mission of the early church through the foundation of the apostles. Now, I wanna, I wanna clear something up as I say that. I know some of you are saying, so there's people here that are cessationists that don't believe that God heals. That's one of the stones that gets thrown at the cessationists. Not true, okay? Cessationists, cessationists certainly believe that God still heals. We can, we can and should ask for healing, but rather the office of healing is something that no longer exists or a gift of healing where an individual has the ability to heal people, all right? And so uh, the cessationists would point to the fact that 1 Corinthians is the earliest of the New Testament books, right? Well, I've been highlighting that, why I think that's important. And the cessationists would point to the fact that no other New Testament author mentions tongues, possibly alluding to the fact that, that tongues was fading after the apostles and the establishment of the early church. And Paul even mentioned that last week in 1 Corinthians 13, that certain things are going to be fading away. One of the things that's very compelling to me out of the cessationist group, is it's extra biblical, so it's not chapter and verse in the Bible. None of the early church fathers that, according to my understanding and my reading, were continuationists. They were cessationists. So all of the historical writing of the early church around 300 AD, all of the early church fathers, including Chrysostom and Augustine, believed that the, that the sign gifts had ceased. Okay, they were cessationists. In fact, Augustine said, quite frankly, tongues have ceased. Okay, so continuationists, cessationists. Now the question is, where does where does Sean come down, right? As the pastor of Coastal, where do I come down? I think both interpretations have some strengths, okay? So both interpretations have some compelling arguments. I, in fact, I would be on, if I'm honest, I would pull from both of their interpretive arguments or hermeneutical arguments in other theological issues that I lean into. I'm gonna be honest with you, okay? I'm, this morning, I'm laying all my cards on the table, so here we go, Okay? I'm extremely nervous of some of the abuses of the broader charismatic movement. I think it's done incredible harm to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
by teaching and, and hoping for more of the kingdom to come now than should be, okay? Because we live in a broken world. There, there, are, there are pieces to the broader charismatic movement that I, that I would call unbiblical, and I'll, I'll highlight some of those in a minute, all right? Now, specifically in regards to tongues, okay? So I'm going to speak on this one gift for a minute. One of the things I always say, I say this all the time, I want the clear passages of Scripture to help me interpret the unclear passages of Scripture, right? And so, and so for me, when I hear the word tongues, I lean into Acts chapter 2, verse 1, okay? That's the very first time we see this spiritual gift in action, Okay? And it's on the day of Pentecost. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Check this out. I think this is the only time I'm diverting to another passage of Scripture. When the day of Pentecost arrived, and they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and, and, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, and the rest on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here we have this, this new movement of God, right? It's the new covenant. What's new about the new covenant? I don't know if you ever thought about that. What's, what, what's, what makes the old, and the word testament means covenant. What makes the Old Testament old and what makes, what's new about the new covenant? Now, I don't have time to preach that entire sermon here this morning, but one of the things that's new about the new covenant in my understanding of things is that everybody believes in God, gets a deposit of the Holy Spirit in their life. That's a pretty significant difference from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so the Holy Spirit comes and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5. Now, there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So here we have this gathering of Jewish people from all across the globe. And you can imagine, what do they speak? They speak different what? Languages or different tongues, okay? Verse 6, and at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own what? What's it say, church? His own language, all right? So there's this, this movement of the Spirit where people are hearing the gospel in their own language. Verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How in the world is, are each of us hearing in our native language, okay? And so the first time we see tongues as a spiritual gift in the movement of the gospel, what is it? It's a known language, it's not, a, it's not an ecstatic, ecstatic utterance, okay? It's everybody's hearing the gospel in an own language. In fact, if you, if you, it's a kind of comical, really. If you go a couple verses down, they're like, how is this happening? Are these people drunk? And, then, you know, and Peter actually starts his sermon with, it's too early in the morning to be drunk, essentially, you know, and kind of makes me laugh. Uh, so, but they're hearing the gospel in their own language. So for me... When I read 1 Corinthians 14, the grid or the hermeneutical principle that I read through is the clear text of a known language, all right? Which then leads to the question I know some of you have, right? What about a prayer language? I have the prayer language of tongues, all right? And I will tell you that for me in my biblical study and research, I think the Bible is less than clear. It's just less than clear for me. 
I don't look around and go, oh man, it's very, very clear that this is what, where the Bible teaches on a prayer language and this is where the Bible tells us that there is a prayer language. It doesn't, I, I, it's un, I'm unsure if there's an unintelligible ecstatic language that could also be a, a prayer language. Now I'm gonna give you two verses that buffer my thinking on that, okay? So I can be honest with the scriptures, honest with the text and honest with you. The first one is 1 Corinthians 13 verse one. I spoke on this last week, and I, I gave you a hint of what I think about this verse, okay, that Paul here is using hyperbole to remind us that love is the most important thing. So I've spun some of you up already this morning, okay, right? So I hope you'll remember that love is the most important thing, all right? So here we go. Uh, I'm hoping you remember last week, all right? Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But I don't have love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I hinted last week that I'm not convinced that this is an ecstatic prayer, that he's saying there is an ecstatic prayer language. He's using hyperbole to teach about love, but I at least look at the text and it gives me pause, okay? It gives me pause. And the second verse that gives me pause is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, which we're going to look at in just a minute, all right? Where Paul says, for the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the what? In the spirit. And there's a lot of debate here, actually, about whether it's the Holy Spirit or a man's spirit, all right? And, and what, how you interpret that generally means how you're going to come down on the gift of tongues, all right? And so for me, I look at those two verses, they at least buffer my thinking, but I don't have any other scriptures that show me or teach me about a prayer language. The only other scripture I can even consider is Romans chapter 8, verse 26, where the, I don't have it in your notes, but where the apostle Paul says, man, sometimes the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that we don't understand, okay? But I would tell you this, Romans 8, I don't think in any way is dealing with the spiritual gift of tongues, okay? But that's the only other com biblical commentary that I can bring to bear. Now, let me talk to you about some of the abuses of tongues that I reject, and I think that you should reject as a follower of Jesus is unbiblical. And if you're in a church that's doing these things, I would, I would call into question if, if they're a biblically sound church, okay? Number one, if you're in a church where they're teaching that in order to have a higher spiritual experience or to reach a more spiritual plane, you need to speak in tongues. Okay, that's unbiblical. Paul makes it clear, clear that this text, that tongues is actually a lesser gift. It's a lesser gift to, to the gift of prophecy. And the gift of prophecy is the foretelling of the word of God, okay? Uh, in a clear, known, understandable language. And so tongues is in submission to that. And so if you're in a church that's telling you, man, you need to have this gift in order to reach this higher spiritual plane. That's not true. Number two, I reject the idea that tongues is somehow a, a second blessing or baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's one baptism. Paul already told us that, right, in 1 Corinthians. It's one baptism, one spirit, one church body. The Bible doesn't teach this idea that, you know, there's a second spiritual blessing of receiving the gift of tongues. So if you're in a church that's saying, I mean, you need to pray that you receive the gift of tongues, that's a, that's, a, that's a lie. In fact, my joke is, how come nobody ever encourages us to pray and receive the gift of giving? <laughs> Think about it. Man, every time I come in, I just empty my wallet. I can't help myself, you know. 
No one ever prays to receive that spiritual gift, all right? Number three, the Scripture rejects any idea of a gift or an action happening outside of a person's control. So in other words, man, I just lost all control when I came around the Holy Spirit. That, that's unbiblical. How do I know? Well, I know because Galatians 5 tells us the, what I would call the normative works of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is what? Self-control. There's no place in Scripture where there's a lack of control. And in fact, in this text, Paul's very clear with both those with the gift of prophecy and those with the gift of tongues, you can sit down and be quiet if you need to, all right? There's never this, man, I got to use my gift now. Listen, I have the gift of preaching and, and, and teaching, and when I'm just sitting and I'm listening, and, and I, I know how spiritual gifts work, okay, because I have one, and when I, you know, when I, well, the weeks I'm not preaching and the Lord's encouraging me by Pastor Joey, Pastor Andrew, whoever's springing the word, like what bubbles up inside of me is, man, I can't wait to preach again. Man, I'm just so fired up. I just, man, I can't wait to preach, but, but I don't just stand up in the back and start preaching. Well, it's my gift. I'm just going to exercise it, you know, for everybody to enjoy in Pastor Andrew's point three, okay? Um, no, there's, there's never a loss of control. And I would encourage you, you know, when I was probably... Probably about 20 years ago now, there were some revivals. There was one in Toronto. It was called the Toronto Blessing. There was one down in Brownsville. And, and part of what was happening in these, quote, revivals was people were losing control. They were, uh, there were reports of people barking like dogs or laughing without control. And that's not revival. And I already, I already laid out what, a couple weeks ago what I think revival is going to look like. It's going to be a people that are gripped with repentance of sin. And that's the greatest miracle that we should be hoping for, is repentance of sin and new life in Christ. And so there's no, no I, there, uh, you need to, if you're in a church that they're saying, man, you're going to lose control, you, we need to reject that. The Bible does not teach that, okay? Um, maybe you're here this morning, and you're like, oh, come on, Pastor, it's just a plain reading of the text. Why are you hedging so much? You, know, you just read the text. And, and I would say that I would caution you on that, okay? Number one, 1 Corinthians 14 is a rebuke. It's a rebuke from beginning to end that this church is disorganized in their corporate worship, and, and Paul is rebuking this church for the way they're doing corporate worship, all right? Number two, there are plenty of other passages that we don't just do the plain reading of the text. Otherwise, after I preached on 1 Corinthians 11, all the women would have come in with head coverings, right? And so in that one, we go, well, wait, let, you know, let's make sure we understand it. Or if we took Jesus at his word when he said, man, if your eye causes you to stumble, what should you do? Plug it out. Well, we look at that and go, wait a minute. So, so we, we use interpretive principles all over the Bible, and we should. That's rightfully ter- uh, interpreting the scriptures, okay? And so where does Sean come down on, on the gift of prophecy? So let me say this, very, very clear. The canon of Scripture is closed. God is not going to give any word that contradicts his Scripture. He's not going to give any word that adds to Scripture. The canon of Scripture is closed. So back to me. Here we go. Ready? You probably already figured it out anyway, all right? I am either an extremely cautious continuationist or I'm a practical cessationist, all right? I'm I'm somewhere in between there, all right? 
And if you've been at Coastal for any length of time, you already know that, all right? You, you can sense it in the way we do ministry and the focus of what I want the ministry of, the, of Coastal to be on, okay? So my preferences in regards to the Holy Spirit would be to focus on what I would like to use the word normative, all right? Meaning, Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. I want us to be focused on the fruits of the Spirit. I want us to be focused on what Jesus taught us in John 16 about the role of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's convicting us of sin and he's revealing to us the truth, okay? And so there you go, guys. That's my introduction. Y'all still with me? Kind of. I probably made some of you mad. Well, here we go. Ready? So that's my introduction. Let's go through the text. Ready? This text in chapter 14... Paul is dealing with a dysfunctional church when it comes to corporate worship. And it goes all the way back to chapter 11, where he was dealing with dress and culture. Man, when you come in, you're you're drawing attention to yourself instead of making sure when you come together that the focus is on Christ. Chapter 11, there's dysfunction in this church when they come together corporately and take the Lord's Supper to the point people are getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, right? This church is dysfunctional in chapter 12 where they all are using their gifts at different times and there's no order. They're not working together for unity, for the cause of the gospel. And then Paul last week says, listen, before I address your, 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 your corporate worship service, remember the goal of all of this is love, right? That we are to love God and we're to love each other. And then chapter 15, I'm going to come back to this in a minute. I want you to focus on the greatest miracle of all, which is what? Anybody know what chapter 15 is? It's the resurrection of Christ. That's the miracle we should be focused on. And so in between this, he's dealing now with a corporate worship that's dysfunctional and, and not being very effective. So here's why. Number one, I want, first big point I want to pull out of 1 Corinthians 14. Worship should be done intelligently and in control. In other words, we're to engage our minds in corporate worship. The goal of tongues, as with all spiritual gifting, is to build up the church. So the church is encouraged. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, Paul says in What's he say right out of the gate? Pursue what, church? Love. Nobody's waking. Oh, it's up there. Here we go. Right here we go. Pursue what? Pursue love. This goes back to last. He's just reiterating what he said last week. Let's pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy for the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for the upbuilding and the encouragement and for consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And so the the gift of prophecy, I'm going to equate it, though it's not exactly like this, to the preaching of the word, okay? So, um, and so he's saying, man, a known language being taught, being preached is the gift of prophecy. Verse, four, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 14, so with, each, so with yourselves, since you're eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church, And so this church has this eagerness to say, man, we want to see the Holy Spirit do some great things. And he says, listen, it's not just for an individual thing. It's for the building up of the church. And so we want the corporate worship to be done in a way that's intelligible and in control and organized. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say tongues, he makes it clear, tongues is a lesser gift. 
There are, there are other gifts that Paul actually says better benefit the church body. Verse 14, chapter 14, verse 5. Now, I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is what, church? Greater than the one who speaks in tongues. In fact, verse 39, when we get there, for me, it feels like Paul is rebuking this church for elevating tongues as a, spirit, as a superior gift. See, that's what's happening here. And Paul gives them a, a not-so-gentle rebuke, right? Verse 39, so my brothers earnestly, verse 39, desire to prophesy. And then this to me is like an oh, by the way, an oh, by the way, don't forbid the speaking in tongues, okay? And so he, he, he's saying, look, we focus on how people can hear the word of God and understand what's happening. Paul advocates in this passage, the supremacy of the mind in corporate worship. Paul advocates for the supremacy of the mind in corporate worship. Chapter 14, verse 13, therefore, Paul says, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unuseful. Verse 15, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing, sing with my mind also. Verse 16, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? Verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. What is Paul saying? He's saying a lot of things here, right? And there's a lot of angles we could take. But I think the, the bigger point is, man, the, the church needs to be done in such a way that people know what's going on. That he's advocating that our minds be engaged. And by the way, it makes perfect sense to me, and going back to Acts chapter 2, that Paul, the missionary to the Gentiles, would speak foreign languages or would speak in tongues more than anyone else. That makes sense to me, right? He's, he's, the, he's the missionary to the Gentiles saying, I speak in tongues. That makes perfect sense to me, okay? Paul's not advocating mindless worship. He says, <clears throat> even he who has the gift of tongues, I'd rather speak five words that we can all understand. In fact, in, the book, in his letter to the Roman church, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says this, do not be, conf- in speaking to our sanctification or how we grow to be more like Christ, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Like how you think matters. One of the things I've, I've been trying to invest in some of the young believers that I know, I said, listen, every, anybody that I know that, that's growing in Christ, they're readers. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a reader, on top of reading the scriptures, I hope you're reading the scriptures, but, but man, learn to add that discipline to your life to be a reader, to shape your worldview, because Paul's very clear that, that, that our minds shape the process for us of the sanctification. What you think matters. Number four, under the sub-point, all right, corporate worship, corporate, the corporate worship service should be understandable to all. Um, 
<clears throat> During the uh, late 90s, uh, early 90s, really going, probably even going all the way back to the 80s, there was this big movement in church life called the seeker-sensitive movement, right, where your church had to be seeker-sensitive, and, 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 um, and, and there's some elements of that I've brought into Coastal, okay, uh, in my thinking and in shaping this church, but, but actually this verse shaped my thinking more than anything. When we do a corporate worship service, all right, it is this idea that our worship services should be understandable, Okay, and that, that can mean all kinds of things. But when someone comes in, an unbeliever, when they come in, they, sh- they should understand what's going on. They should have an opportunity to understand the gospel and respond to the gospel. Verse 20 of chapter 14, brothers, don't be like children in your thinking. And again, this is why I'm telling you this passage is a rebuke. He's not telling them Corinthians are being mature. He's telling them they're being immature. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law, it is written. I want you to hear this. Okay, this is a quote from Isaiah. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they won't listen to me, says the Lord. Thus... Tongues are a sign not for what? Not for what? Not for believers, but for what? While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for who? Now, this is a fascinating thing. It it took me a long time to get my head around this passage, because then look what Paul says next. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders and unbelievers enter, will they not say, you all are what? You've lost your, what is going on? Now, let me pause here for a minute. Wait a minute. I thought Paul said tongues was a gift for who? So why is he saying if they come in here, I'll speak it in tongues? They're not gonna, like, I read this, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Sounds like a contradiction. Are tongues for unbelievers or not for unbelievers? What in the world is going on in this Corinthian church service, all right? Verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever and outsider enters, he will be convicted by all. He is called into account by all. And so when I read this passage, I'm like, what, what is Paul talking about? Is it a sign for unbelievers or is it not a sign for unbelievers? Is it, man, is, it, is the tongues for the believer or, or is it a sign for the unbeliever? Yet you said when everybody comes in, everybody's speaking in tongues, the unbeliever's going to think that you're crazy. Here's what I think is going on. The Corinthian church loved the miraculous, they love to hear about it, and they love to talk about it. They love stories of the supernatural. I think that's why in verse 12 of chapter 14, what does Paul say? You all are so eager for the manifestations of the Spirit. I think that the Corinthian church loved this idea of the supernatural even more than just the plain preaching of the gospel. And this is a rebuke to them. This is not a positive thing. And they're, they're sitting around waiting for, man, show us some of the really neat stuff, Paul. And how do I know this? Well, we know this because in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, right, there's some false teachers that come into Corinthians, the, Corinth, the Corinthian church, and they call themselves super apostles. They're better than the apostles. Why? Because they begin to talk about dreams and visions and all this stuff that God's showing. And so the Corinthian people write a letter back to Paul and say, hey, tell us about some of the cool stuff that you, you've seen and done. 
And in Paul, in defending his apostleship, what does he say? Yeah, I've had visions, but I'm not going to tell you about them. Instead, God gave me a thorn in the flesh to buffet me so that I can depend on him. And then he goes on, he says, you want to hear about my apostleship? And he goes on to list all the garbage he had went through for the furthering of the gospel. I've been beaten and I've been shipwrecked and I've been hungry. Like, I just want to promote the resurrection of Christ. Not some supernatural gift. This is why I get so concerned when I see the American Christians running out. Man, hey man have you seen, have you, have you read the book, Heaven is Real? Yes, I read it in the Gospels when Jesus came back from the dead. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I don't, I don't need somebody to tell me heaven is real. I got it when the Son of God told me it was real. That's enough for me. So they were building the case. Here's what I think the Corinthians are doing. And tell me if this doesn't sound like, I said this with fear and trembling, the modern charismatic church. They were building the case that if enough really cool miracles, ecstatic stuff happens, unbelievers will come in and go, man, God is real. That's what was happening. And Paul says, if all this ecstatic, crazy stuff's going on, unbelievers are going to come in and say, y'all have lost your minds. In fact, this text is actually saying tongues was a curse to the unbelieving Jews. And you can go read this in Romans 9 through 11 where Paul talks about the cutting out of the Jews and the ingrafting of the Gentiles, strange tongues, not some spiritual gift, languages, okay, are now bringing the gospel back to the Jews. I don't have time to spend on that. I wish I did. But Paul's actually saying the opposite of what the Corinthians are thinking, that unbelievers are not convicted by the Holy Spirit through the unexplainable. Unbelievers are convicted through the understandable. When the gospel is clearly presented and their heart and their mind is changed and engaged, and so the corporate worship gatherings, I think Paul's saying, should be understandable, verse 24 and 25. But if all prophesy, what's going to happen? An unbeliever, an outsider enters, and what happens? He's convicted by all. He's called no count by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. So falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Paul is saying, I believe, that the miracle that we should be hoping for and praying for in our church body is the miracle of repentance and faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ above all else. That's the miracle we should be praying for. It's not tongues or healing or some manifestation miracle. It's when the Holy Spirit works in such a way that we're convicted of our sin and we're reminded of the need of a Savior. That's the great miracle. That's why the longest part of this letter is the resurrection of Christ. That's why every time we do a baptism, what do I always say to you guys? Man, this is my favorite service at Coastal. Why is it my favorite service? Because the Holy Spirit is still doing what he does, convicting people of sin and dragging them into the kingdom of God. I don't need any other miracle in that. Because one of the things I do as a pastor, and I do it all the time, is I, you know, it's part of my, my calling and job is to be a part of funerals. Listen, every single one of us gets one of these. And the only thing that matters, it doesn't matter if you speak in tongues. It matters if you know Jesus Christ as Savior above all else. That's the focus of the ministry of Coastal Community Church. 
And so Paul's talking about disorderly worship and the abuse of tongues. is bookended by love, which is the greatest thing we can give to one another by the grace of God, and is bookended by the resurrection of Christ, the greatest miracle God ever did. It's his son coming back from the dead. The next thing Paul makes clear is that corporate worship should be orderly, okay? I'm going I'm to run through this, okay? It's got to be orderly. This is specific instructions to the Corinthians, Okay, just like chapter 11, I think, was specific to the Corinthians and the culture, chapter 14 here is specific to the way this church is doing corporate worship. What then, brothers, when you come together, one has a hymn, a lesson, a a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation, let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there only be, so here's the clear instructions on how to use the gift of tongues, let there be two or three Uh, at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh in on what is said. If a revelation is made by another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn, all be encouraged, and the spirits and the prophet and the and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the other prophets. In other words, the other prophets would judge what is said, Okay. By the way, I think there's a hint here that the tongue speaker knew who the interpreter was. Okay, so if they were speaking in tongues, the they were to get, probably get together with the interpreter and make sure that they're not out of line. But here's the bigger point. I think it's found in verse 33, that order flows from the character of our God. Our corporate worships should be done orderly. Why? Because they flow from the character of God. Verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. By the way, this is why we can do science and math. Did you know that? Why can we do science and math? Because God's a God of order. Every doctor and scientist should praise God for order. They don't. Trying to build a case that God doesn't exist, but the reason they can do science is because God's a God of order. Our corporate worship should be done in order. In fact, the next section, when talking about women, Paul again is coming back to cultural order, the cultural order of how men and women interact in the corporate worship service. Verse 34 and 35, the women should keep silent in the churches for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, this is Here's where you got to understand ancient Near Eastern culture. In ancient Near Eastern culture, a married woman would never, never, never talk to another married man. So like after the service, sometimes I'm standing up front, and I might have a lady come up and talk to me without her husband. Quite natural and normal in American culture. But in ancient Near Eastern culture, that was shameful, okay? It just wouldn't happen. And so if you remember what I talked about in 1 Corinthians 11... Rather than being oppressive, Christianity is opening the doors to women. Christianity is setting women free, so now women have the opportunity to learn spiritual things, but, but they're so excited because it's new to them, they're standing up in the middle of the service going, I have a question, right? That, the same thing would be out of order here, right? Now, some of you, even if you disagree with something I just said, it would be out of order to stand up and go, Pastor Sean, I got a question on what you just said about verse 32, okay? That would be out of order, Okay, it's not, it's, not the right, it's not the right cultural way to get your questions asked. Same thing here. These ladies are, Paul is just teaching the women, listen, um, you're open to learn, but women are encouraged to learn in such a way that they learn quietly, humbly, gently, and if they have a question, they can wait till later to ask the question. 
no different than anyone else in the congregation, okay? But it's just new in this culture. Okay, so let me give you some riverbanks. Here we go. I'm going to finish this up this morning. If you come to We Are Coastal, we give this out. We give out some of our, some of our riverbanks to further define who Coastal is. Here is our statement on corporate worship, okay, at Coastal Community Church. Worship is reserved for God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and it's only made possible through the mediation of Jesus Christ alone. We believe that worship should be present in every aspect of the believer's life. By the way, this is why, this is why we call this corporate worship. Worship is anything you do. When you do it according to the way God has laid out, it's worship, okay? So, worship for believers in every aspect of life, it's not just limited to the music and preaching of the word. Biblical worship involves both spirit and truth, John chapter 4. We encourage believers to worship both privately, that's why we talk about things like having a quiet time, being in a small group, and corporately in community with other believers. True worship must be made with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance, and corporate worship and prayer must be made in an own language. Those are the riverbanks at Coastal Community Church. So in regards to corporate worship, small group ministry, prayer ministries of Coastal, uh, missions trips, that's what we're asking. That's what corporate worship looks like, okay? Those are the riverbanks. Why are those our riverbanks? Here we go. I'm going to finish with this. Number one, The goal of our corporate gatherings is for believers to be built up. We want believers to be built up. We want to exercise our gifts in love and in unity so that believers are encouraged in their their journey and their gospel and their understanding of Jesus Christ. Number two, so that believers and unbelievers can be confronted with the gospel. We think that's the greatest miracle of all is repentance and faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want our corporate gatherings to be clear that we understand the character of God, that he's holy and sinful. We understand the character of man. I'm I'm sorry, holy, God is sinless and the character of man, which is sinful and rebellious to the work of God and to the person and character of God. And our only solution is Christ alone, that each person repent of their sin and trust in the person. Jesus is the son of God, fully God, fully man, and the work Jesus died and lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death on the cross that paid for the penalty of our sin, and he rose again, authenticating his claim. And this offer of both abundant life and eternal life is made clear to everyone who walks in these doors. That's the focus of the ministry of Coastal Community Church. All right, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray for this church, God. I know everybody in this room uh, that's a member here agrees with, man, we want to make Christ famous. We may disagree on some of the finer points, but Lord, I pray that we would be a church that's understandable so that the gospel message of Jesus Christ can go forward both in spirit and in truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it instructs us and challenges us and molds us. May we use our gifts, may we use our time, our talent, and our treasure to make Christ famous here on the peninsula and all around the world until the day our faith becomes sight. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.